because of his greatness the world could just know get a slight understanding of what God's great plan and program is in this world what hope it would give God open our eyes make us understand give us wisdom make us see hallelujah hallelujah you may be seated Some little time ago, I was spending some time in prayer, and first thing you do, of course, is sometimes bemoan the situation that you're in, first off, and then you begin to ask for things, sometimes for selfish reasons. But it seemed like almost in the midst of that, why my thinking began to change. And I began to ask God to show me some of the hindrances that keeps the body of Christ from achieving or maintaining his area of maturity and what keeps us from being able to obtain the wonderful, glorious promises that God has given to us. I began to ask for wisdom and knowledge to understand his divine word ask for help from him that the Holy Spirit would point out to me and give me some areas in which I might be able to deal with some of those areas we have already dealt with others we will deal with as we go along but everything that God has given me has some of it gone against the grain 
hard to accept question as to why would he speak in these terms and yet it was so clear that there is no possible way that I could do away with it and so our attempt tonight as well as a few other times and certainly as the days go by and times is going to be doing our best to be submissive to the will of God and to speak what we feel like that he has given us to speak it might be a challenge to our hearts some of these things perhaps we may not need right now but certainly we will need it later in the future and so you need to listen attentively and I'm going to do something that what is it the old saying fools rush in where angels fear to trot and being the fool that I am I'm going to rush in on probably the most controversial neglected subject there is in the Bible mainly because it lies at the doorstep of almost all of us there's no particular reason for this and no reason that I can see in the area of the local church however that God might see farther than I can but certainly it remains a challenge and under the circumstances there is ever open possibility that this lesson will be needed in the days that are coming so I want you to hear what God has to say if you open your Bibles now brother Jack told me to tell you that this was for him now he didn't ask me what it was and I told him maybe he better ask me what it was first but he said it'd be all right so open your Bibles to James the third chapter title of this would be accessory after the fact it may not look like that we're going to get into that but we will James is speaking again on a subject that very few want to hear about he simply says my brethren be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation for in many things we offend all or we all offend if any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man or a mature man unable also to bridle the whole body I want you to notice that word mature because this is what I ask God to show me what are some of the things that is a hindrance to the body of Christ being a mature individual or mature body or we being mature individuals and this is one of the primary reasons and then he says if any man offend not in word the same is a perfect man or mature man and able also to bridle the whole body if he can control the tongue he can control the whole body then he goes and puts some emphasis on it and gets some parallels as he says behold we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body behold also the ships which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds yet are they turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity so that the tongue among our so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell 
of every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed, hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly member full of deadly poison. Father, breathe upon your word, please. <laughs> in Jesus' name. Accessory after the fact. Noticing a sign that so often upon close to our parks we notice and are acquainted with Smokey the Bear's posters that says only you can prevent forest fires. And then I like another one I think even better when it says think before you strike. I begin to think of the damage that was done by some forgetful individual who tosses a cigarette out or a lighted match or who leaves a campfire uh, not quite put out and all the damage that has been done to our parks and our forests because of some little thing that destroyed and devoured thousands of acres of our precious countryside. And I was thinking about that I thought now the damage that's done within the body of Christ by the tongue of believers is greater by far than the millions of dollars worth of damage done by the natural forest in the United States. And if it is important to prevent natural forest fires, then it is even more important to prevent spiritual fires that devour whole areas of God's people, that destroy lives by the forgetfulness, unfaithfulness, you might say, and your notice of God's people. Notice what it says. It's God's people. Now there is a divine order, and as God spoke to me, this is one of the greatest limitations to achieving the things that God has in store for the church that there is. Not the only one, but one of the greatest hindrances of obtaining from God precious and glorious promises and seeing things materialize in the church of God, not necessarily the local church or congregation, but the entire body of Christ that I know of. There is a divine order. I'm sure we have dealt with this often, but I want to point us to that as quick as I can. And one of them is found in St. Matthew, the fifth chapter, and... The 23rd verse, it says, Therefore, if thou bring any gift to the altar, thou rememberest that thy brother has aught against thee. In other words, he feels that you have trespassed against him. If you feel like that, and if you know that that is his feelings, it says, Leave your gift before the altar, and go your way first, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. In other words, it's saying plainly that your gift, whatever you're presenting, whatever you're asking, is not going to be accepted by the Lord until first you take care of that transgression or that feeling of transgression if you possibly can. Now then, the 18th chapter presents a whole other side of that, where it says in the 15th verse, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, now, that is a trespass of your brother against you, not him trespassing or you trespassing or transgressing against him. But the shoe is on the other foot. But you still have an obligation. It says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. 
he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one of two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it into the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now how many Christians do you suppose have ever followed this progress or process through to the end? I happened to run across some time ago a survey that had been taken of people going around to churches, not just nominal churches, denominal churches, but churches, spirit-filled churches. And the question was asked, have you followed the process of reconciliation? Not very few of them knew what it was. And those that knew what it was, um, the whole group, 12%, had even just 12%, a mere 12% had even attempted to follow any of these formulas. Now, when I began to look at that, I thought, God, some way or somehow we're going to have to realize that you did not just put things in a book to fill up space. Some way or somehow you must realize that you are trying to speak to our lives and speak to our hearts and let us know that you are determined from someplace somewhere to get a church that wants to right its wrongs and solve its problems the right way that it might be able to attain the precious promises of God. Souls are dying while the church world tippy-toes around the tulips. Individual souls are becoming depressed and sickness is taking its toll and death is coming far too early in many lives while the church decides that it will find its own way to the progress of God. And in the Bible is filled with ways to solve problems. Friend, listen. If the church of God cannot solve its problems, how can we present to a world a problem solver? If we cannot recognize that God gives special emphasis upon what we should do in order to maintain the level of spirituality that He desires out of our life, how in God's name do we hope to entice a world that is living far beneath his privileges. You see, there's two sides to this issue. Probably one that most of us have never looked at, and I'm going to use the case of murder because I want to get to spiritual assassination. In a murder case, the person who commits the crime is called the murderer. And sometimes... When we see that, sometimes we come off as if our hands are clean. But there may also be an accessory after the murder or an accessory after the fact. Now, an accessory, accessory is one that aids the murderer in some way. And this makes that individual just as guilty of the murder of that individual as the one that actually use the knife or pull the trigger. That's an area in which remains clouded and closed. You don't hear much about those individuals that help with the murder. Although they receive their sentence, 
What you see and know and focus is placed on the one that does the job. Now, most murders are committed with small caliber handguns or lives. Almost all of them, different ways in which murders are committed. But I don't want to talk about tonight natural murders. It's running rampant. It's everywhere. It is in the big city and it's taking lives, destroying good lives. Lives of individuals cut down before their time, before they were able to increase in their wisdom and do the things that God had in store for them and the reason they were born. But I want to speak tonight concerning spiritual assassination. I want us to review our lives. I want us to search our hearts. I want us to have a pure mind concerning these things. I want us, if we find ourselves guilty by any means, I want us to understand that there is a way back to God. There's a way that God asks that we can clear the area. And if you've got any desire of all, to obtain the greatness of God and the promises of God, then we ought to take heed to whatever thing that God speaks to our life in. Now you've got to remember that God has called out people. He has a people that He wants to speak to and a people that He feels like He can speak to. See, a lot of individuals have already shut their ears to God's uh, dealings with them. As long as it's good time, Charlie... As long as the way is laid out and there's no problem and prosperity is everywhere, then man is inclined to tune an ear to what God has to say. When God gets down to hoeing the row of corn, challenges us where we live and our determination to live a better life. We might be more influential in our neighborhood, in our country, our inner home. Sometimes our ears are close to that because it challenges us right exactly where we live. Which means there must be a change in our life, and almost everyone is adverse to change. We get settled in our moors, settled in our leaves, settled in our ways of doing things, settled in our religiosity, and settled in the way that we want things done, and thus far we have got by real good. But now God is bringing us down to the nitty-gritty of it all. I think He is challenging us as to our desire to see His kingdom come within us. How much do we desire to see our family members saved? How much do we desire to see sickness come under control of the power of Almighty God? How much do we desire miracles in our life? And you'll have to admit that they're not happening, that you cannot see it, and there must be a reason. It is not because God is dead. It is not because God is mad. It is of no reason for God at all. It has to be within our life. Someplace, somewhere, God's people, God's church has missed a mark. And God wants loves us enough that He wants to bring us back to these clouded areas that our mind wants to block out, that our spirit does not want to receive, and He wants to challenge us. He will only do this to individuals that He thinks wants to hear. 
Individuals that he thinks wants to change. Individuals that he thinks that will do what he wants them to do. You see, God is not sadistic. He doesn't point things out to us because he gets mad at us or aggravated with us, which I'm sure he has a lot of reason to. But there is a purpose and a cause. Brother Stanley says, without a cause or without a purpose in his message, there's nothing that we can attain or nothing we can do. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3.15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Then he goes on to say, And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Now then, he wasn't necessarily talking about somebody that goes out and blows somebody's brains out. He's talking about a hatred. That comes from the Greek word misio, which simply means destructive or malicious feelings towards somebody. Now the reason he said that is because he was aware that we, with these type of feelings, they wasn't going to stay inside. That's right. These feelings have a way of abiding inside until they reach such a peak that they come outside and action then is required. And then a person begins to assassinate, harm, hurt, or destroy some life somewhere, and the Bible says his brother. You notice he still is putting this individual in terms of brotherhood. He has not cast him aside completely as yet. But he is speaking to him and challenging him and saying, if you have these destructive, malicious feelings to your brother, then you are a murderer in God's eyes. Just as sure as you would have pulled a trigger upon some life unsuspecting individual. Now then, The murder weapon that is used almost all the time. You don't have to look very far to see the type of weapon that is used to kill somebody spiritually. It's that little thing called a tongue. That's the chief murder weapon. In fact, that is the only murder weapon. That is the only thing that can assassinate the character of somebody else. And James writes his great portion of Scripture on this, to show us that the tongue is a fire. This little thing here is a world of iniquity, ready to spew out its venom and its poison upon anybody that gets in the way. And the Bible says no man can control that tongue. If that be the case, what hope do we have? Only the power of Almighty God inside of us, which we all have, can bring this deadly member under control. That's why it is important for a man, woman, boy, or girl to live their life spiritually every day. Amen. Not on weekends and not on Wednesday nights, but live your life under the influence of God's Spirit every day. Now, Most of us, I'm going to assume, hasn't had any idea of destroying somebody. And we're not going to deal in that area. If you have harbored that, 
If there has been hatred in or destructive or malicious feelings toward others, then you need to get that under control. You can be hurt, and that's fine, but don't let bitterness be part of your hurt. Get that out of you, all right? Talking to all of us, get that out of you. Let it lay down. That it's not worth the destruction of your soul. Amen? It's not worth your spiritual life. You lay it down. But I can't. Yes, you can. God said you could. God said that through Him, we can do all things. Didn't say but this, that, or something else. But through His power and His grace, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I don't know about you, but I am not about in this world field with striving and bitterness. I am not about to take on myself something that would destroy my life. I've got enough of weight to carry around without carrying these things around in my life. Let somebody else handle them. Let them think what they want to think, the way they want to do it. But as for me and my house, I want to lay it down. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth sleepless nights. It's not worth the bitterness and the venom that whelms up within you as you carry it day in and day out. And besides that, eventually it's going to destroy you. And before it destroys you, you're going to destroy somebody else. Somebody's character. Somebody's life. Somebody's well-being might well suffer because of that. But I want to talk about being an accessory, not maybe actually doing it, but being an accessory. You see, if a Christian comes to me or comes to you and begins to stab another brother in the back by his words, and I listen to him, I become an accessory after the crime. Now, this stab another in the back simply means to assassinate his character. This does not mean that we cannot discuss a brother or sister uh, with the intention of praying for them, of discussing their weaknesses or their failures for the purpose of praying and upbuilding them, of trying to understand them. doesn't mean that at all. We have a right to discuss our failures, downfalls with one another of our brothers and sisters. We have a right to do this. But not for the purpose of destroying them. Not for the purpose of assassinating their character. Not for the purpose of destroying them and their ability to reach individuals. And even though we are not doing it ourselves, and then we allow somebody to come in and speak to us and we don't stop them, we have become an accessory after the crime. You see, many people wouldn't think of talking about somebody, but they will provide a good listening ear when somebody comes to them. A lot of people don't have moxie enough to stand up and say, I don't want that garbage in my house. They're destroying a life. They're mutilating and destroying a character of somebody, regardless of whether we love them, think about them as as somebody we would like to have or not. As long as as God still says in their their life that they are our brother, then we have to leave that someplace else. You see, this is not a little matter. 
When I read that, I thought, God, we have dealt with that. Everybody knows that. Everybody's aware of that. But God says, yes. But some way we have relegated it into a small thing that really doesn't mean anything. And God's great voice sounded out to me and said, this is not a little matter. You see, and then studying, I am thoroughly convinced, thoroughly convinced that in these passages that I read to you in Matthew, Jesus said the one thing that absolutely had to be said to God's church. Let me go over that again. I am thoroughly convinced that Jesus said the one thing that had to be said to God's church. And the one thing that is essential to keep its life, its relationship in its proper order. In other words, a church cannot be what it ought to be unless we adhere to the principles of Almighty God. You see, everything else is secondary to the importance of grasping this command. And I have because of God's presence, come to the conclusion that we can preach and talk as much about church order and as much about church discipline and as much about church doctrines and church structure and all the ins and outs of it and talk about the need for healings and miracles and that sounds beautiful. But it will never work until these principles are applied in our life and in the church. In other words, God made it very plain to me that until we begin to follow the rules and laws and guidelines of maturity, we will never be mature. Now, we would like to be mature without that. You see, you've got a world filled with infantile individuals that have never had the laws of growing up, naturally speaking. And these individuals cannot handle their lives. They cannot handle their responsibilities because they have never been allowed to mature. The family has suffered because mom and dad has never taught maturity and responsibility to their offsprings. And because of that, we've got a world filled with infantile thinking in the natural, and it's the same way in the spiritual. If we want maturity, then we've got to search out the laws of God that says we'll bring maturity, and then and only then can the, world, can the church march to the turn of God. But I want to stress in this that two-way responsibility. The most overlooked one is not only that we do not offend actively by speaking evil or trying to discredit our brothers and sisters, but we do not offend passively or listening to them that do. Because if we listen, we're guilty. We didn't like that, did you? But it's so. Now, I want you to listen to what the Bible has to say because your spiritual life and the spirituality of this church and what we gain and obtain depends on some of these things that God has given me to give to you to show us our failures and shortcomings. Now, you can buck the board if you want to. 
because it's really immaterial as far as my life with God is concerned. It life and where you intend for this church to be. Now I'm going to say again, God did not bring us together. God did not call us together. And God is not placing that building out there just to have another congregation or another church. He has a specific purpose, specific purpose, specifically designed Whatever we want to think or anybody else thinks doesn't matter. But it's what God wants, what God has called out, what God has desired. He wants somebody somewhere that's going to hear what He has to say. He's going to let it go in here and up here and out here. In other words, it's got to do some good. Now, I've heard people say, well, I I don't talk about people. Well, let's leave that where it is. But do you listen? Do you listen? Let's look at some scriptures on the tongue, and I'll show you the two-way thing here. Just mark these down. Exodus 23 and 1. This is what it says. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Now notice the two-way application here. We are not to start a false report. And if a false report is brought to us, we are not to be associated with it. We are not to listen to what it's got to say because that is putting our hand with the wicked and we become an unrighteous witness. In other words, by our silence, we are condoning what this individual is doing. An accessory after the crime. Didn't stab him. Didn't try to destroy him with our tongue. But with our ears gave assent to what he had to say. And offered, offered nothing that would repudiate what he had to say. I've had people say, well, I don't know if it's so or not. It is our obligation, yea, our duty, to receive nothing from anybody regardless of what they think until it has been proven to be so. And then when it has, we keep our little grubby hands off of it. Okay? We leave it alone because we become a witness with that. We receive that. We do nothing but allow this to go on right in our place, accessory after the crime. Psalms 15, 1 and 3 said, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Now here... The psalmist David is asking the same question in a different way than I ask God. Who is going to abide in the tabernacle? Who is going to be able to fulfill your commandments? God, where are we at? And my soul cried out, God, where are we at? 
What can we do? Where is the responsibility? Where is the breakdown? And there'll be more of this later. But this is tonight. This is one of them. This is probably the main one. You see, keeping the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. Alright? And we have forgot to keep the main thing, the main thing. We have let little incidentals come in our way. And in some way or somehow, the mind of man has the ability to erase some of the things God demands of us and has the audacity to demand from God those things without fulfilling our part of it. And God says, my laws is established. I can't change them for you or anybody else. If you want to find what it takes to be a mature uh, church, to be a mature individual, search the Bible. It's in there. It's filled with it. And there's laws that establish and bring us to maturity. We don't just happen to get there. You see, sometimes we feel like we've been born again and then whatever we stumble around and do, we just happen maybe eventually to get into heaven some way. I don't know how. But God has guidelines. God has laws. God has challenges in us. Psalmist David says, who's going to abide in your tabernacle? In other words, who's going to dwell in your holy hill? And then, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now there's a twofold thing there. We are not to backbite with our tongue which is active. We are doing it. We are not to do that. But if we're fortunate enough to have our tongue controlled enough that we don't backbite with our tongue, there's another side of the coin. Flip it over. And he says, but neither are we to take up a reproach against our neighbor, which is simply passive. Now that word reproach comes from the Greek word anisimus, which simply means defamation or destruction of character. You see, the whole issue is bent on destroying somebody's ability to do his job or her job in the kingdom of God. That is not our job anyway. That is God's job. We're trying to do God's job for Him. Let Him be the judge. Let Him handle these things. But sometimes we don't do it ourselves. But somebody then comes in with a reproach, then we are not to receive it. We are just as guilty when we make a place for them to spill their garbage as they are. Proverbs 6, 17, and 19 gives us six things that the Lord hates. And a seventh thing that is an abomination to him. He says a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imagination, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. 
Now notice out of those seven things, at least three has to do with the tongue. You see how important this little thing is. Maybe we can illustrate a little bit this way in receiving those things. Suppose that you ladies got up and got your children off to school and your husband off to work. You would vacuumed and dusted your house and made the beds and washed the dishes and the doorbell rings. And then in comes your neighbor and she opens the door and in she walks with a sack that looks soggy and smells awful. The inside is coffee grounds and fruit rings and eggshells and everything that consists of garbage and she begins to throw it all over your floor. Now if this scene literally happened, all of us and all of you would be up in arms and you'd tell the woman in no uncertain terms to take her garbage someplace else. This place is not here for you to spill your garbage in. This is my house. I've cleaned it up. I've vacuumed it up. It is clean as I know how to make it. And I don't want you coming in spilling your garbage. But when it comes to garbage of the tongue, we get so religious that we are afraid to hurt somebody's feelings. I've heard it said, well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Well, we spare the feelings of the tailbearers and the garbage collectors, and we hurt the rest of the body of Christ. If you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, hurt that garbage man's feelings and that garbage lady's feelings, and tell them that you don't want their garbage in your house. You don't want it in your mind. You're not here to be a garbage pail. Amen, brother. Oh, that's good preaching. Man, I like that. Of course, nobody's guilty of that around here, are we? Not even Jack. But this is for you. You said it yourself. All right? That's right. That's what I said. You see, the church has become so, so permissive of any kind of wrong and even immoral behavior that we have infected the world with this. Instead of setting the standard, upholding the fundamental principles, we have gone off on the deep end, have allowed anything to be whatever it wants to be, allowed this garbage to accumulate until the world has been affected by this. It has looked to the church to be some clean place that has a place for them. Where they can bring their hurts and bring the despair, and bring, bring the uh, sickness and diseases, and where they can come in a clean environment, and have their wounds patched and healed, but instead they find garbage dumped from one place to another, destroying lives that it should be salvaging. Destroying characters of individuals that it could be, should be concerned about. And sometimes we passively sit by and allow that to happen. When I was talking about things like this some time ago, and uh, I was really ministering on gossiping that time uh, about our neighbors, and I was speaking concerning that, one of the brothers spoke up and said, Well, if we can't do that, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) And he was just a tad more honest than most of us. 
Uh, he probably said what a lot of us don't dare to say. Because listen to me. Now again, I'm not talking about discussion of individuals' lives, weaknesses, or failures with the intent of trying to understand and pray together. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maliciously trying to destroy somebody's life and us letting it happen. Furnishing a dump for it. You see, we've got to realize that what we talk about cannot be divorced from what we think about. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, our speech is a product of what we think, and our thinking is affected by our speaking. And it's a two-way relationship. So the Bible lists a lot of things that we should be talking and thinking about. I thought, my God, are the times that many, many church people have allowed our time of prayer to be taken up by somebody that carries a pail of garbage into our home and dumps it. Invite the devil in. He'd be all right. Just let him come on in. But the Bible tells us that there's a lot of things that we can talk about. If we're just determined to talk, then let's find something good to talk about. There's enough bad things in this world without the church being in the doldrums without being way downhill, without it acting like the world acts. I have a favorite to talk about, and it's found in Joshua 1.8. And this is what it says, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Most of us want to be prosperous. Not necessarily naturally, but spiritually prosperous. Why are we not more prosperous spiritually than we are? Because we think on the wrong things, and we talk on the wrong things, and we act on the wrong things. And then we expect God to keep His promise. We expect God to smile down on us, pat us on the head, and say, well, you poor little thing, I, I know that you can't do it, but He says you can. He says you have to. He says it's a must. Amen. It's not something He lays out there and says, you can do it or you can't do it. It depends on what we want to obtain. It depends on how bad... We want to see individuals saved. It depends on how bad we want to keep them saved. You can get them saved and act like the devil and they're not going to stay saved very long. 
You can get them saved and place them in the midst of things like this and they know that the world is no different or maybe it's not as bad because they don't know any better. But the church does. That's why you have a front door and a back door. And the minute they come in the front door, they go out the back door because they become disillusioned. As the mother, so is her daughter. And it's the way we talk, that's the way they'll talk. The way we think, that's the way they'll think. In closing, let's look at Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true, these some things to talk about. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Here's something to think about. Not upon how bad we have been mistreated, about this and that or something else, or, or, or the woe is me syndrome, but think on these things. Think on honesty. Think on justness. Think on purity. Think on loveliness. Think on good reports. And if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. On this basis, Paul is actually saying, he promises the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds. And peace in our hearts and minds depends largely upon our thinking and speaking about the right things. A Christian mind is troubled. You're not thinking about the right things. I'm not saying you shouldn't be troubled about the sin in this world. But when Satan has robbed you of your peace, you're thinking in the wrong terms. You're speaking the wrong words. Begin to search in the Bible and find good things, honest things, just things, lovely things, pure things, holy things, objectives that God wants out of your life. And talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about the resurrection from among the dead. Talk about the thousand year reign of peace. Talk about an eternity with God. Talk about the good things God has promised us. There's a lot of good things to talk about. And a lot of bad things. But if we want peace in our heart and mind, it depends really upon how we're thinking and how we're speaking. You see, God has given us this tongue. He gave Adam and Eve the ability to speak, to form words, to commune with Him and commune with one another. Tongue fell with the rest of it. Since then, it's been the devil's greatest weapon. The most sanctimonious saint. Individuals that have, have uh, created in their life great things, yet have fallen because of the little member that is a deadly virus or a deadly fire. You see, within the church... God has provided a way we can stop the abuses of the tongue. Now, we just read you those ways. 
And this places upon us the responsibility not to speak evil of a brother nor to listen to an evil report. That which tends to hurt and destroy one's influence. If there is a shade of maturity about us, if there's any desire to obtain this, we need to follow the steps that Jesus outlined for us in dealing with offenses as far as we can follow them. You see, these things cannot be uh, brought to fruition unless there's a two-side. But we still have an obligation ourselves to do what we can do. And the rest of it lays upon the shoulders of the individuals, whether they receive or whether they reject. We've done our part. But unless we have done our part, then the responsibility still lays upon us. And if there's a desire in our lives to obtain and get the maturity that God wants in our lives, then we have to accept that responsibility. Remember, as Smokey the Bear says, only you can prevent forest fires. Fires that ruin the inheritance of God. Naturally speaking, thousands of acres that caused thousands of years to grow have been destroyed. By one little thing, and thousands of individual lives have been set to ruin because of the fire of one little deadly member. Think before you strike. Now, in closing, fires are especially destructive during dry seasons. And this is a dry season for the church. Which means that fires... In this season that we're in, the church is more deadly and will destroy more quickly more lives than any other time. Spiritual fires that started by the deadly member, which is the tongue. Burns over lives. Destroys them. does not necessarily destroy a life completely. When a forest is burned over, it takes a little while, and it begins to sprout anew. And any individual whose life has been assassinated and destroyed, and his character been destroyed, has limited his ability to function in a way, an area that he should be able to, but there's a new growth. You can't destroy the root. Thank you. you can't destroy the root. You can't do it. You can destroy the tree. You can destroy, in a sense, of life as it ought to be. But you stay with it. You stay with it. And your character will stand the test. It'll spring up again into a new life. But the thing of it is, if somebody else does that to us, that's their problem. That's not ours. But if we allow it to fester, 
and infect. And we, in turn, seek some way of judgment or some way of, of getting back. And we find ourselves with full intent of being a spiritual assassin. And God says, we can't be mature that way. He says, our church, our congregation, His church, cannot, will not, obtain and come to full fruition until this, at least, has been sought and adhered to. Again, clearly, let me make you to understand it is not discussion of lives and their weaknesses or failures as to get unity of prayer together, seeing those things, discussing them, trying to understand what to do. That is not what God is talking about. But he's talking about with full intent of destroying that man's ability or woman's ability to be what God has called them to be or do what God has called them to do. And if we do not do it, then certainly we must not present a place for them to bring it to us. Tell them we are not interested. What will they say? Yeah, but so and so said this about you and did this to you. That's their problem. That's right. That's not ours. And God said He would judge. You see, we got this all turned around. God said we were to witness and He was to judge, but we've been judging and wanting Him to witness. Okay? So we just got it all messed up. God, you go witness to so-and-so. He didn't say he's going to do that. He said, you're to do that. And he said, I'll do the judging. But we stand and do the judging and then send God out to witness. Can't do it. Okay. Do what you want to with it. But the primary purpose, responsibility of this church to obtain and be what God wants largely depends upon our ability to handle these things not only against members of our congregation but against members brothers and sisters of God in the household of faith that God has not cut off yet we might have cut them off we might want to real bad but if God still deems there's something in there that he still sees he can work with and he hasn't cut them off yet then they're still in the body they're still our brothers and sisters and he says he'll handle it. And he really doesn't need our help right now. Now then, there's going to come a time when he wants us to help judge the world. But not right now. <laughs> he wants to do all this by himself. Spiritual assassination. Shall we stand?